the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, how should we as Christians think about the death penalty? And then we're going to hear from Scott McKnight about the unmasking of evangelicalism. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. It's been a great week. A top five list That's coming right. today. Top five TV dads. Yes. And as always happens with our top five lists, we are not going to agree. That's uh, right. So I'm looking forward to that. And we're going to end the show with a Father's Day quiz with a special guest. We did this at Mother's Day. We're now going to do it at Father's Day. Yeah, so it's, I, a, it's a kind of a Father's Day game show, if you will. I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to end with uh, just some, well, hopefully some laughs and some uh, good natured fun. So I thought, why not start us as heavy and as dark as we can go? Wow. And Way so, to go, Brian. Happy Friday from me. I kind of said, Aubrey, this is where I'd like to start the show today. And I want to start by talking about the death penalty. And uh, this is coming out of the news this week that South Carolina executions have been blocked but here's the here's what uh, the headline says, Aubrey. South Carolina executions blocked until firing squad can be formed. I mean, I mean, just let that sit in. It says a law requires inmates to choose electrocution or firing squad if lethal injection drugs aren't available. There has not been an execution in 10 years in South Carolina because of the drugs. Uh, and so Sister Helen Prejean, you know her from that movie and that book, Dead Man Walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, she tweeted, South Carolina just halted two scheduled electric chair executions to allow more time for death row prisoners to decide if they prefer a firing squad execution instead. The absurdity is the product of U.S. Supreme Court's backwards regressive Eighth Amendment jurisprudence. When the highest court in the land tells the government that it can essentially do whatever it wants when it comes to executions, the inevitable results are cruelty and barbarism. Mm. The U.S. Supreme Court is no moral authority when it comes to the death penalty. So that was, uh, you know, her from Dead Man Walking. And so South Carolina, a lot of it's been put back on the state's to kind of do the death penalty. So now you're starting to hear things like electrocutions and firing squad to become options. And I read this, Aubrey, and I was like, oh, my gosh. If anyone's listened to this show, uh, you know that um, that I have um, – how shall I put this? I have strong opinions about the death penalty and us as Christians. I kind of resonate with a lot of what Shane Claiborne has written and talked about – uh, so and, I don't know this about you, Brian. What are your opinions about the death penalty? Uh, I am pretty uh, strongly anti-death penalty. Yeah, uh, I understand the desire yeah. for uh, that sort of justice. Actually, yeah. I don't understand. Nothing's ever happened in my family that has mm-hmm. ro- risen to that level. So I, yeah. that's very presumptuous of me to say I understand. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, but what I do know are a couple things. One. Uh, it's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that in our country over the years, we have executed people who turned out to be innocent. Oh, yes, that is proven. So for me, that is enough to say that we shouldn't execute people. Yep. Uh, If there is any chance that we are going to execute people uh, who uh, who are later going to be exonerated? You can't undo that. Right. You can undo a life sentence and and apologize and rest to bring restitution to the person who has lost all those years of their life, but they haven't lost their life. Right. And so for me, that is enough. But two, as Christ followers, mm-hmm. I believe that we believe in the uh, in the concept of transformation and restoration. Yeah. And so therefore. If we believe in restoration, if we believe in transformation, then that flies in the face of ending another person's life, even, and this is where it gets really difficult, I understand, even if they've ended the life of another person. Right, right. And so um, for me, we want to hold on to the opportunity for restoration, to yeah. transformation, to people doing ministry on the uh, on death row, That's to right. all of these things. So those two... Uh, for me, it becomes, Aubrey, a pro-life issue. It becomes totally hard for me. I agree with that, yes. It becomes hard for me to say I believe strongly in pro-life from womb to tomb and then and then ascribe to, uh, but I want to have the ability to put people to death yeah. whom we think deserve it. The last yeah. thing, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. And the last thing I would say uh, is uh, that we believe in in transformation that we believe in God's re- restoration uh, and we see areas of grace going on and we hear these stories all mm-hmm. the time. So Aubrey, that's my rant about the death penalty that I thought as I was reading this, what say you? You know, it's funny cause I read this headline and I thought, Oh good. South Carolina executions are being blocked or they're being stayed. They're being put on hold. That seems positive. And then you read the rest of it. And it says, until a firing squad is formed. Mm-hmm. I, this, I, I don't know. I, it feels inhumane, gruesome, offensive. I, you know, I think it's great news when executions are put on hold like you. I am anti-death penalty because of my pro-life stance, right? Because I'm a Christian. Um, but I don't like that this conversation is really about, we'll, we'll just come up with a different really more offensive way to kill prisoners. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, it feels very barbaric. It feels very like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like how this reads at all. It seems like the conversation should really about, uh, should the states have all this power? The conversation should about, should be about, um, like you said, transformation and uh, justice and not about, just more violent ways to kill criminals. I, I don't know. I it, This made my stomach turn, honestly. Does it surprise you then? And how would you explain this? That multiple studies have come out uh, that have said that actually Christians tend to be for the death penalty more than the general public. So it doesn't surprise me because I remember growing up around Christians who were pro- death penalty. And some of that was rooted in some Old Testament teaching. I don't find it consistent with the teaching of scripture, mm-hmm. the teachings of Jesus. And it does, 
though it doesn't surprise me because I know it's true, it does surprise me that Christians can come to that conclusion and be pro-death penalty. Mm -hmm. Because to me, we know that God is the judge. And so I'm not sure why you wouldn't just surrender a person to God's care and uh, allow them to face whatever penalty they need to at the end of life. Now, of course, we're saying there's consequences for crime. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I'm with you, too, because over, over abundantly, uh, it has shown that our justice system has killed innocent people. Mm-hmm. Th- that I'm with you, Brian. That's enough to just be like, nope, this isn't a good action. This is not justice. This is not OK. Yes. What so do you th- ma- what do you think about Christians that are pro or what do you think about the idea that Christians are pro death penalty? I think it has also a lot to do with generally the politics of it. But I also think you're right. I think there are especially Old Testament instances where it clearly says an eye for an eye. It mm-hmm. clearly says this person should be put to death. Uh, I would argue that the ways of Jesus kind of uh, painted a different picture yeah, and yeah. and that we need to have that talk. And so I would just challenge people out there who are really pro-death penalty. I would say, uh, how does that fit into your pro-life um, um, worldview? And if yeah. you could come to that, I would love to hear that. And uh, But man, I, I can't get there. And so that's where I come out. Well, happy Friday. Happy <laughs> we're gonna, Friday. Wow. We're going to turn this spin on Friday. <laughs> exactly. We're going to turn this a little bit. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Pastor Jim uh, Mussarino. Uh, he is part of the Grace Conference that's coming up. We're going to talk about the Grace Conference and what Jim will be talking about there next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, there's a great conference coming to town called the Grace Conference. It's going to take place on Thursday, June the 24th, and also Friday, June the 25th. People can go to graceconference.com to learn more information. Now, one of the speakers at that conference uh, is the senior pastor of Bemidji Baptist Church in Minnesota, his name is Pastor Jim Masserino. Jim, how are you doing today? Boy, I'm doing really, really great. I am in the Chicagoland area currently. I'm heading back tomorrow to Bemidji. But um, I'm looking forward, honestly, to go back there because I can't handle the heat. You oh. know, southerners. <laughs> <laughs> us, us, us southerners down here. Yes, uh, that is true. Yeah. It has. It, we are now in the middle of Chicago yeah, summer. It's so been hot. Uh, yeah. Hey, Jim, yeah. before we talk about what you're going to be talking about at the conference and a few other things, we just love to have guests introduce themselves so our audience can get to know them a little better. So why don't you do that for our audience? Sure. Uh, Well, uh, again, Pastor Jim Osorino from Bemidji Baptist Church. Uh, My church is located about 100 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, We have a a beautiful community of about 14,000 people. Beautiful area. It's a vacation area. We're just surrounded by lakes. Wow. Um, I planted the church back in uh, in the early 90s, um, and, and the church has started to grow. We have a Christian school. We have an addictions outreach program. We're very involved That's in great. our community um, because, you know, especially a small town, it's really important that the church steps up and fills in gaps that others in the community can't do. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we, we saw a niche in being able to minister to people who struggle with addictions because they know they need God. But they thought, man, if I go into church, I'm just going to be judged. And uh, we want to turn that around, and we want to 
really work with people. So we've been going for 15 years now awesome. with our addictions program, and we've seen just incredible things that God has done. Oh, that's great. So, uh, yeah, we love it up, up there, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not up there just for the fishing and things like that. <laughs> uh, you know, people think I'm some kind of an expert fisherman. They want to come up and think I'm going to bring them to all these great fishing spots. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm up there to minister to people. That's I mean, awesome. I love the area, but I'm there for people. Anyway. That's so, great, uh, Jim. That sounds yeah. fantastic. Um, okay, so we're really excited. You are coming back for the Grace Conference, and I know you're talking yes. about the challenge of Grace. Can you, without spoiling you know, your big <laughs> keynote address, can you tell us a little bit about what you'll be talking about? Sure, sure. I'll be. Uh, the, the challenge of Grace um, really stemmed from a discussion I had with my dear friend who's now with the Lord, Dr. Jim Scudder, who actually founded the Grace Conference and uh, we're, we're very, very good friends. In fact, he's been my mentor for many, many years. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm a graduate of the college that he also founded, and so we have a very, we have a very special relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, in our conversation, the heartbeat of Dr. Scudder was twofold. The first was making sure and helping men and women who really love the Lord to understand and, and be effective in giving a clear gospel and understand not to use cliches and terminology that aren't in Scripture, but let's get back to just what God's Word uses in, in proclaiming the Gospel, and, and to make it clear and to give confidence to people. And then secondly, he's always had a heart for, for people in Christian ministry. Hmm. And, um, um, so, and, and I'm, I'm a byproduct of that, and so I'm very indebted, and, and I feel like that's, that's his vision, and we want to carry that on. And while we were discussing something, there was he, he mentioned how he noticed how there were some um, pastors who had this idea, this belief that pastors and teachers um, uh, they are to never personally one on one confront somebody when they're when they're in sin. Hmm. That uh, you're supposed to just preach it from the pulpit, you know, be strong. But it's the Holy Spirit's job then to do it from there, and we, we're not to do the Holy Spirit's job by by confronting somebody one on one. That's that's between the Word of God and, and the individual. Huh. Now there is a place for that. I do believe that. But then all of a sudden, all these scriptures started flooding my mind in our conversation. And um, like for example, when when Peter uh, saw uh, was in Antioch, Paul talks about in Galatians two. Paul said, "When I saw Peter." And what he was doing and not understanding grace, I was stood him to the face because yeah. he was to be blamed. Right. You know, or Proverbs says, "Rebuke not, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you, but rebuke a wise man, mm-hmm. and he will love you." Or open rebuke is better than secret love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, and all these, and there were more. But all these verses, and I, I just started rattling those off, and he said, listen, would you talk about that at the Grace Conference? Wow. And I said, wow, I'd be honored to do that. Um, here, here, here's what we're seeing. These are dear servants of God, mm-hmm. and and um, I, I think sometimes we can lose some of our strongest tools and not really understand what grace looks like. Hmm. We think... We, we have a sometimes not a broad enough understanding. Grace is an amazing thing, as the hymn, of course, goes. 
But I think what makes grace so amazing is it's applicable in so many ways. And one of those ways I see is having enough courage and enough love for a person that where we sit down with that person and we have to confront them. Yeah. Um, if you just do it from the pulpit, and I know what I'm talking about in this one because I've done this, I let it, I dismiss it when I hear it from the pulpit. I apply it to my neighbor. But when it's one-on-one, you can't do that. Mm. True. And, and you know, when, when it says faithful are the wounds of a friend, that means that sometimes a dear friend is going to say something that's not necessarily what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, and, and Dr. Scott, he, 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 he practiced what he preached, and he confronted me about things in my life that needed to be pointed out. And you know what? I grew to love him even more. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, if we really want wisdom, that's going to be the response. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know? That's right. Jim, let me ask you. people. Yeah, go ahead. No, let me just ask you this. Um, uh, so we all get lots of invitations, right? We all see, especially as pastors, we get lots of, hey, this conference is going on, this conference. Why would you encourage people to go to the Grace Conference, to take the time specifically to go to this specific conference? Okay, great question. Um, uh, here's here's several reasons, I think, why a person coming to the Grace Conference would really benefit from it. There are workshops, for example, this year there's going to be a training module for deacons. There's always workshops for women. Uh, there's workshops on music and the ministry in the church. Mm. Uh, for example, Shelley Hamilton, if you're familiar with her from Majesty Music, She's going to be hosting a workshop this year. There's going to be a workshop on how to revitalize your church. Oh, wow. There's going to be a workshop on the Christian's role in, in politics, a workshop on church finances, a workshop on church security, which unfortunately wow. Wow. We've got, we, 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 we can't postpone that anymore. Um, you know, we have to protect people, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, and so those are just some of the workshops so it was it, 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 originally the intent was aimed at strengthening leaders mm-hmm. in churches throughout the, throughout the country and worldwide. But it, over the years, we saw that, that many lay people were also saying, hey, could you ever address this particular issue? So we try to be sensitive to that every year. Uh, Pastor Paul Julian is a guy who really is, does a great job, along with Pastor Jim Scudder, as far as having a, 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 a pulse on on the men and women out there in full-time service. Mm. And we always want to make it and keep it relevant. It's great. So um, so those are the great things. Yeah, so again, that's Pastor Jim Massarino. Uh, he's going to be one of the speakers at the Grace Conference. Go to graceconference.com. This conference will be taking place Thursday, June 24th, and Friday, June the 25th at Quinton Road Bible Baptist Church right here in Lake Zurich. Uh, you can, again, uh, you can register and get all of the information at graceconference.com. Jim, we really hope the conference goes great. Thanks for taking the time with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and God bless the both of you. Thanks. Oh, thank you, you very Thanks, much. Jim. It's great to meet you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, we've spent a lot of the week talking about uh, the state of evangelicalism, really kind of through the lens of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. You and I are not Southern Baptists, but we do say, like, this is the largest 
denomination in the nation. And so what you know what is happening in the Southern Baptist Convention is emblematic of what's happening in a lot of Christendom and a lot of evangelicalism. Yes. Somebody that both you and I greatly uh, appreciate and respect, someone who's been on the show multiple times, Dr. Scott McKnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote this the other day, and I just wanted to highlight some of the things because I, I think it gets at what a lot of us are feeling. He, t- he wrote something entitled The Unmasking of evangelicalism. Let me just read. Uh, We don't usually read to you, but let me just read a little bit of it, and then I'd love for you to respond to it. Evangelicalism, he writes, has lost credibility. It can only blame itself. We're watching its unmasking. Evangelicalism is a disorganized ecumenical alliance of Christians with traditional beliefs, the necessity of a personal experience with God in in Christ, and as a movement, it had a strong commitment to evangelism. But evangelicalism has become a noisy symbol with a pestering look-at-me call for attention. What it wants others to see is not what they see, and what it doesn't see, the rest observe. It's ugly, he Mm. says. Theology is never meant to be a set of beliefs disconnected from a serious life. But evangelicalism's claims to possess final truth about the Lord Jesus Christ is systematically denied by the immoralities and inconsistencies of its confessors. It is deconstructing. And he's Mm going to go on. We'll touch a little bit more. What is that? What do you? That's hard. That's just even hard to read as evangelical <laughs> right, pastors and right, radio hosts and this, right. especially that last part about the immoralities and the inconsistencies of its confessors, uh, kind of cutting the legs out from evangelicalism. So I do feel like uh, McKnight's got his finger on something, but but talk to me a little bit about as you read McKnight's words, kind of what you think about. I mean, I feel like I am sort of a record player, you know, saying the same thing over and over and over again. But I do feel like we are having this come to Jesus moment where power abuses and our racism and especially, especially our the sexual predators in our midst Mm. have, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's just we've all been so aware of it. I feel like more now this year in the past few years than previously. And so it feels like God is like saying, okay, hey, hey, my church, hey, my people, you got to like own your sin. You got to own your blindness. You got to own your corruption. You got to get on your face and humble yourself before me. You got to make change or else. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the or else is, but it feels like the spirit of God is stirring mm. something big time. And I hope we can respond the way God wants us to and make significant changes. Yeah. What yeah, do you think, I, I think McKnight using this imagery of unmasking, I think, is really powerful because what are what are some of the things that Jesus says to the Pharisees? Right. When Jesus goes mm. that famous passage where it's woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you, Pharisees. And one of the well-known ones, right, he talks about being a whitewashed tomb, carrying what other people see on the outside, but not really dealing with what's in the inside. What feels like is happening now. And I know you and I are very close to it, but I. It feels like what's happening now it, when McKnight speaks of this unmasking is is a call to, hey, what you were kind of worried about on the outside is being torn away. What's going to happen now? Yeah. What's yeah. going to happen? And then I, you know, you read Jesus's words to the Pharisees and you have to think they could have at any point said, you know what? You're right. 
Like, we're going to do the introspective thing we need to do here. We're going Mm -hmm. to do the godly thing. We're going to repent where we need repentance. Mm -hmm. We know how the story ends with the Pharisees. We know that that doesn't happen. But in that moment, I wonder if there was even an expectation, like, you know, oh, maybe they'll turn. And uh, that's what it feels like right now in evangelicalism. Everything from, like, the narcissistic power, uh, hungry pastors that we deal with on a regular basis, to the sexual abuse scandals, to this obsession with race and wokeness and CRT to uh, to politics like it all just feels very uh, non Jesusy. there I just created a word yep, for you non Jesusy. Yep, yep. and I do think it's why all week we've been talking about uh, there's kind of a crossroads because there is a there is a way out of this there is yeah. a scenario of repentance yeah. and collective lament as you've written about yep. and the collective like turning yes but there's also a way where this crashes and burns and it does feel like yeah. we are a little bit it feels like we've been marching towards this and and maybe yeah. maybe we just read too much and, and hear too much but it feels like we've been moving towards this and that we're really evangelicalism as a whole is kind of getting to the cliff's edge and gonna has a real decision of what's going to happen yeah i agree with you it feels like we're teetering on the edge of something really significant and either i i, I guess either it's gonna fall off that edge right and something no. new will be reborn i hope from the ashes um as the way god works or maybe it's gonna step back from the edge and like see itself clearly one of the things that scott says in his article he's quoting ryan burge's the nuns shows that the evangelicalism is now more a politics than a theology mm-hmm. and i think that's another one of the crises like that we have put our our nationalism and our political agendas ahead of the kingdom of god mm-hmm. and this is where i think we have really 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 made an idol of something that we shouldn't have i do think christians should be deeply involved in politics but not at the expense of our um allegiance to the kingdom of god Excellent. right when the kingdoms of earth become more powerful than that then we are off track as christians mm. yeah and well who were you and i reading last week where they said i'm going to butcher the the line but they essentially said that the, the millennials or the next generation is not rejecting the christian faith they're reject what they're what they're saying is the the churches and the leaders we've been we've been doesn't under even believe the faith. I think that was it. Russell Moore actually. And, yeah. and I I've had that in my mind for so much. Again, we're we're not asking people to be perfect or this and that, but but by watching our churches, by watching our leadership, by watching our own lives, do people in that next generation go? Man, they really believe in Jesus. They right. really believe at their heart the words of Christ, of self-denial, of right. pouring out yourself, right. Of, right. of eschewing, I love that word, of eschewing power uh, and uh, of not running after money. And it's all these things that then we talk about what's going on in evangelicalism. I know we're painting with a broad brush, but it's not inaccurate where a lot of these scandals and a lot of the black eyes are things that are contrary to Jesus. And I think people outside the faith or younger are looking at us leaders and looking at the churches now going, do you even believe this? Mm. Like, do you believe what's going on? Mm. And and that's what McKnight's trying to do here. He's trying to unmask and go, this isn't Jesus, what yeah, we're seeing. That's this it. isn't that's biblical. It. That's it. And we really are at a time of reckoning. Yeah, I... I um I'm not at all trying to promote my next book known, Do but I, I I end that book by saying over and over and over and over again, look to Jesus, look to mm. Jesus, look to Jesus, and I feel like that is a call for all of us right now. Like we can't, I mean, we have failed. The shows we're sinners and we need a savior, right? right? 
Um, and it is time for us to turn and look to Jesus and ask him to make change and ask him to lead the church. And we know, we know that, that the gates of hell will not That's be right. able to prevail against the church. But that doesn't mean the gates of hell won't profess, won't. Uh, prevail against certain little things like (laughs) evangelicalism, right? Like we don't know what's going to happen, but if we stay faithful to Jesus and the mission that God has called us on, then we will see him move in the next generation. And I I do, I'm hopeful that this kind of house cleaning we're seeing happening will lead to a better day. Yeah. It's not easy, but like you said, the lens needs to increasingly be, uh, the way of Jesus. How did Jesus treat this? How yeah. did Jesus look at money? Yeah. How did Jesus look at power? How yes. did Jesus, who did he butt heads with? Yes. And, and we have to look in the mirror, ask ourselves individual hard questions, but also organizational hard questions and even hard questions of the quote unquote movement uh, and, and then be willing to make changes. So uh, Scott McKnight, as always, uh, a really good and challenging word. Well, coming up next, I want to play some audio from Sam Alberry uh, as he talks to Christian pastors, but also just Christians about kind of vulnerability and, and what makes you trustworthy. We're going to listen to that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, You and I, both pastors, and been talking a lot about the state of the church, and it feels like a heavy week with all that's been going on at the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, over at the Gospel Coalition, Sam Alberry. Uh, he he talked a little bit, uh, a, a part of his talk, I just want to play like 40, 45 seconds of it. He's talking to pastors and in, in about what does it look like to be honest, mm-hmm. to be honest with your congregation, and does your honesty, what, what are the results of your honesty? I think this is a pretty complex question, so let's go ahead and listen to that, and then we'll discuss. The danger is, if as pastors we put on a facade that actually we've got everything sorted out in the Christian life, then we make it harder for other people to confess their sins. We, we create churches in which everyone feels as though they've got to have their lives together, where people don't want to come with their failures. People don't want to come with their weaknesses. But by being honest, that pastor was creating a culture where actually it was safe to confess sins. It was safe to talk about what was actually going on in life. It's very hard to trust someone if you don't think they're being real with you. And so we pastors need to be honest. All right, Aubrey, here's basically for people who couldn't understand through his wonderful accent. Uh, By the way, I, I feel like you said his name very Chicago and like Sam Alberry, but he's British. So it's got to be like Sam Alberry. There you right? go. Don't you think? I, I've lived out here a long time. I still fight the that I have a Chicago accent. Instead of a Jersey accent. I never really had a strong Jersey <laughs> one, but I'd like to think like it's like what a, you know, like I still have my East yeah, Coast. Yeah, yeah. That's a valid point. Give, yeah. it, give it to us again. I want, we want everyone to hear your English accent. Sam Alberry. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said like Aubrey. Aubrey. What is, what is your best accent that you can do? Oh, I'm kind of terrible at accents, but but uh, good eye, Mike. Yeah, you are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, uh, Carrie, she she whenever she does an accent, yeah. it always sounds the same. And then I'll be like, she could be doing Southern, it, Australia. It just becomes all one thing. It becomes yeah. one. I'm like, oh, yeah. are you like trying to do this? She's like, oh, no. <laughs> the same. So, uh, but well done. I think Sam would Thank be happy you, with what you did for You're him welcome, there. Sam. Uh, but the, uh, the crux of what he's saying is as pastors, 
when we are open, when we confess sin, yeah. when we discuss struggle, yeah. it then sets a, uh, a a DNA, an ethos within our churches that mm-hmm. they feel like they can not only, people can not only confess to us, they mm-hmm. can relate to us, but they can confess more easily to one another yeah. or corporately or whatever else it might be that that as is often the case in churches, the pastor is kind of setting the um, uh, setting the direction here. And if you're fake and you're trying to give this perception of being perfect, then your people are going to feel like they have to be perfect. Yeah. But that if you are open and and speak to your own faults, then it will kind of set that within the ethos of your church. Yeah. Just wondering, uh, uh, there's some questions that arise from that, but just big picture. Do you tend to agree with what I tend saying? to agree with that. I mean, I typically like pastors, authors, et cetera, who are willing to be vulnerable. Um, the, I think the there is a line in my mind because I don't necessarily want to hear all of my pastor's dirty laundry. Mm. There are times when I, this is probably not fair, but there are times that I want my pastor to be such a strong woman and man of faith that I'm like borrowing their faith a little bit. Like yes. I'm like, Oh yeah, yes. Thank you. Okay. If you can believe like that, I could believe like that. I don't know if that's fair or unfair, but sometimes I do want my pastors to like be a little stronger than I am. If that makes sense. So how now that you're the pastor yeah. or you're a pastor, if you're, if somebody in your church came to you and said, Hey, I, I need to borrow your faith at times. <laughs> man, your, your strength really compels me. Your strength really spurs me on. Yeah. Uh, would you be like, hey, I'm not strong? Or would you just kind of be like, okay, well, they need that from me. How would you respond well, so to that? So the funny thing is, is w- the most reaction I get from people, and I'm sure you're the same, Brian, is when I share my struggles. Is that afterwards, that's when people go, thank you for being vulnerable. That's I right. needed to hear that today. No one's ever like, thank you for being so faithful, Aubrey. That was amazing. <laughs> you know, so I, I do think there's something there that we connect with vulnerability. But Brian, do you find it hard as a pastor to open up like that for your people? I feel like um, sometimes I can be too open, not about specifics, but just sometimes I think that one of my drawbacks as a pastor, or maybe it's not a drawback. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think this is one of my greatest strengths and one of my greatest weaknesses. Like that sounded yeah. very like superhero-y, right? Like, uh, <laughs> just own it, Brian. You're but a superhero. I think one of my things is that I want to be, I want to level the playing field with people. Totally. I don't like when people call me pastor yeah. or like speak of me to me or about me in a more reverential uh-huh. way because I don't feel that. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like I want to be your buddy. Like I yeah. want to talk. But I what I've come to realize over the years is there are a lot of people who don't want that from their pastor. Right. They want you to be separate. And that yes. can be lonely. Like yes. we're getting into all sorts of stuff here with pastors. So just this past Sunday I was up in the pulpit and I said I need you all to know I struggle with people pleasing. Mm. And I talked about it because it played into it. And then you've got that voice in the back of your mind going, is that okay? Is that okay is that I good? just said that? But yeah. That good? Because I think you and I would both agree this could go too far. Certainly it could go too far. And often goes too far. Well, paint a picture of what, uh, maybe not in specifics, but what would be too far? Yeah. Where's, where's the danger in this? Yeah, I, this is a really good question. And I do think it depends on the denomination. Because there are some denominations where like, they always will call their pastor bishop or reverend and show them honor and respect. Because that's that that's the dynamic there, and that's really important. Um so, but in our church, what's too far? I guess what would be too far is if I was like, you guys, I'm really struggling in my marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be married to my husband today. 
that feels like it's too far because I'm saying something that's deeply personal is really between me and my husband or maybe between me and my husband that's and right. our therapist. Or, and like the whole church doesn't need to know that because you still as a leader, not that you're perfect, not that you're fake, but you still do want to keep some things for yourself and have personal boundaries. Mm-hmm, I, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it's hard to define what that line is except when it's too oversharing, too personal. Yeah, I think also... You know, there you, people might just think pastors that like the arrogant move is to pretend I'm perfect. Right? That, there's an equal arrogance of going, I'm so broken. Look to totally. me. Look to me for the, my. You know, yeah, how I am. Like, yeah. There's an equal amount there. Yeah. I think where this becomes dangerous is um, so the. It is both sides because it's not good when you're so detached that people can't access mm-hmm. you. They can't connect with you. Right. And, and you try to hold up this persona as perfect. Right. It's also bad when you use the pulpit as like your counseling couch. I agree. And just going, oh, I'm struggling with this. And there becomes a point where it's unfair. And unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. But I would say pastors need people in their lives they that they do that do. to. And what often happens is that is not the case. And so... You know, I try to have people outside my church yeah. where I do that for, but yeah. it is, I guess why I would end it this way. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough line to walk. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's oversharing? What's this? I do know that I don't think as pastors, we're meant to be separate from our people in the sense of like, I can't understand you. You're so different from me. I don't think that's the case. Um, but but I do think that, that we often fall into that. Well, coming up next, Ed Stetzer. We're going to read something from Ed uh, as he gave his rules for Facebook engagement. A little bit of a list put out by Ed Stetzer about Facebook engagement that we found pretty fascinating. We're going to talk about Ed's words next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, what are healthy rules for Facebook engagement? And then a Father's Day quiz and a top five list. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us as the week is ending the Sampsons are getting ready probably to watch a movie and eat some cake. That's the Toms right. are getting ready for baseball weekend and softball. So uh, fun. Rinse, repeat, right? Here we go. Yep. Same each week. But hopefully you, all of you are connecting in a church. Uh, if you don't have a church, I'm sure you would love people to join you at. Yes, Renewal Church in West Chicago. And what about you, Brian? Four Corners Community Church in Darien. So come join us. Join us and come up to us and be like, you're the funny ones from the common good. <laughs> we'll, gi- we'll give you a free Bible if you do that. <laughs> we'll even, I said we'll sign it, but has That's anyone ever awkward. asked you to Don't sign a Bible? Uh, no. Has anyone asked you? That feels weird. I wouldn't, I don't we were, think I, I would sign that. I was just having this discussion with someone the other day about this, but uh, somebody did, but it was like the weirdest, most awkward. Like I wasn't, it was like when I was a youth pastor and I spoke one time uh, at Glen Ellen Bible Church, I'd speak like three times a year. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah. I was on staff there. And uh, somebody's dad was visiting. So, you know, an older gentleman. 
Uh, and he said every time he hears a different preacher, he asks them to sign his Bible. So he wasn't asking. Oh, okay. It's like me. a thing he does. He wasn't okay. necessarily okay. asking me to sign his Bible, like because it was me as much as he had people sign his Bible. But yeah, people do that. It's a weird deal. Yeah, I think, that, I, deal. I think that's a little strange. I feel like I have seen it done, and I'm always like, oh, that feels strange. That's I don't right. know what I think about that. That's yeah. right. Well, we are glad to have you with us. Looking forward to a good weekend. Okay, Ed Stetzer, friend of the show, Ed Stetzer. Yep. Uh, he he of many different hats Ed wears, but one of them is frequent contributor to social media, mm-hmm. whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. He has a uh, column at Christianity Today. Correct, correct. And so, Ed, uh, you found this the other day. He put out a list of uh, his rules for Facebook engagement. So how does he approach Facebook? And I always find these fascinating, asking individual people, very, pretty well-known people, How do you work your way through Facebook? So he says, specifically, here are my Facebook comment rules, and is going to give us five. But don't you think this is helpful? As all of us are on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, uh, we've seen many, many, many people do this really poorly. And so talking about what are the opportunities to do this well, I think are helpful. Yeah, I I appreciate that he gives his his followers or supporters or or anti-fans, whatever you want to call them, guidelines, because then if you sort of just say, oh, this isn't working, you didn't follow the guidelines, you can delete someone. But it's sort of like a good check, I think, for all of us in our spirit. Like, am I am I following the rules? Ultimately, am I honoring right. the person who's posting and the other people that are engaging here, which is really the call for all of us. Absolutely. So some of these are going to feel really basic, but I think that's the point. Totally. Because we don't do them. So here's Ed Stetzer's rules for Facebook engagement. Let me read number one, and then you can respond to this. Right. Number one, please read the article before posting it. <laughs> Commenting on a title simply perpetuates the sa- the shallow thinking that dominates so much of social media today that feels so basic and something that the vast majority of people don't do i agree like it's it's like don't fall for clickbait find out what the meat of the article is just do that period read (laughs) the article right before you like freak out and throw your hands up in the air and like desperation just read it just read it and number two is a little bit along the same lines number two don't post links without comment for too far too many people for too many people i can read for too many people they don't engage the conversation they just put up a link we delete those comments he said so don't post links without comment you'll see this there's a discussion going on and someone will just link to yeah so and so's uh, video of someone saying something or like this and chances are they've done what number one was they haven't even read the article that laid link and so uh, I think that helps people feel like smarter. Like, hey, I'm not saying this. Look at what you know. So and so is saying. Yeah. My uh, favorite part about that total side note, and then we'll get back to the actual topic at hand, is when it's a rickroll. You know what that is? I get confused by this. Explain it for our people. Not <laughs> yeah, just me. not just Brian, who's old and doesn't know. That's right. um, a rickroll is where you put a link to something that looks like something, but it's actually a link to Rick Astley singing "Never Gonna Give right. You" that's or right. "Never Gonna Let You Down." So that's the only time I feel like that's acceptable. All right, uh, that's funny. Number three. This is a really good one. This happens on my husband's Facebook page a lot. Don't over comment. Posting the same comment over and over or replying over and over is just you trying to use, this is Ed talking, my Facebook feed to make your point and turn it into your pulpit. That's awesome. (laughs) But but people do that, right? They just keep going. You want to be like, 
Hey, tap out here at some moment. Yeah. You said You've what said you wanted something. to. Let other people talk now. Absolutely. Number three, uh, number four is kind of along the same lines. He says, don't cut and paste comments you have used elsewhere. Again, my Facebook feed is not your pulpit. Have you ever seen that where you're like, oh, wait, no, no, no. You said that over there. Yeah. And there. Yeah. And there. And yeah. it just keeps coming up in person. Like, you're like, okay, that's your one comment. It's like, like then you have that one bone to pick. But again, you're not engaging meaningfully with the content that is being put forth. That's right. If you're just, you've got this one liner you're always using. That's right. That's right. So that's number four. Why don't you give us number five? Yeah, number Ed. five. If you feel the need to carry on a debate, I love this one, a debate with another commenter. Do so in your own DMs, your own direct messages. I love that because then it doesn't take up space. It doesn't look horrifying for people, uh, onlookers. And then you're having to have a one-on-one conversation. I like that. And I think that's maybe the most important one because oftentimes these comments are going back and forth. Like we've seen these with people in our churches. They're often going back and forth with people uh, who have relationships with each other. Totally. And so they're having these arguments oh, in yes. ways that that you just cringing. You're like, uh, hey, you guys literally know each other's phone numbers. Yeah. Or you literally sit by each other in church. Right. And there's, But there's this lack of filter on Facebook that says I can say whatever I want. Uh, and, and it's just painful. And like I've said this to more than one person. I've said... Hey, why don't you get off of Facebook and call that person? Yeah, I Take think that that's person it. out to. Yes. And I'll never forget somebody in my church one time. They got into what they they deemed a bit of an uncomfortable Facebook dialogue with someone. And he did exactly this. He mm. DM'd them and said, can we go out to coffee? Love it. And I just applauded him. I yeah. said, thank you for that. Because yeah. you guys can still disagree. But you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to be snarky at each other when you're sitting at When Starbucks. you're sitting across the table from one another. Absolutely. I think that kind of just kind of saying stuff off the cuff is what's wrong with Facebook. And so these are Ed Stetzer's thing. He says, Facebook's great, but on my feed, if you don't follow these rules, you're going to be banned. I love it. Uh, because we don't just want better dialogue, he said. We we want just better relationship and this and that. And so... Wait, this is my last... The last thing he says. I actually think this is fantastic. I also apologize for not addressing every possible angle and perspective on this situation, political, theological, historical, and cultural, with all the nuance and theological depth you would awesome. want in this 1,000-word article. I love it. It's a little snarky Ed Stetzer for us right there. That's it's a good. lot it's good. of snarky Ed Stetzer it. right there. I didn't tell you, do you know what I've started to do? I'm, I'm trying to ease my way off of Facebook. Oh. Uh, I've started unfollowing almost everybody. So not unfriending. Okay. Okay. But unfollowing. So I still have the ability to post or sh- yeah, yeah. stuff for the show yes. or church. Yeah. But where Facebook's so boring now, if I open it, I don't really see anything. Really? You know, and like, why is that? I think, A, I spent too much time on it. Okay. Like, in terms of, like, not time, but, like, multiple times of, like, oh, I just hit the button. Let's just do this. Yeah, gotcha. And, two, Facebook makes me really angry because yeah. of what we talked about earlier. Seeing people say really dumb stuff mm-hmm. that makes me sad for them and for the state of the world. Yeah, <laughs> so, good. good for you then, Brian. Good anyway, I hope you find those helpful. We'll put them up, ironically. On Facebook. At our Facebook page. <laughs> and we'd love to know. Uh, what you think. Well, coming up next, we are excited to be joined by a friend of yours, Andy Jack. He is a licensed clinical professional counselor at Alliance Clinical Associates in Wheaton. Uh, Andy's going to talk to us about mental health, the pandemic, adolescence, uh, all that's going on as we continue to move out of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to talk to Andy Jack next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey, you and I spend a lot of time on this show, it feels like, especially coming out of COVID, uh, talking about mental health and the challenges in the church and just kind of trying to work our way through that. And we thought it would be great uh, on a regular basis to have some professionals on to kind of help mm-hmm. us process. And with that in mind, uh, we are thrilled to be joined by Andy Jack. Andy is a licensed clinical professional counselor at Alliance Clinical Associates right here in Wheaton, Illinois. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. Hey, before we jump into this conversation we want to have with you, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? I'm a born and raised uh, Illinoisan. Been here in the in the suburbs my whole life, so I got the Chicago uh, going through my bloodstream with sports <laughs> and food and and um, you know just whatever. Um, but I've been involved with uh, adolescents and families uh, for the last 20 years as a youth pastor, as a coach, as a school counselor, as a mental health professional. So it's really been a privilege to work alongside families and partner with them and. Um, yeah, and I'm married to a therapist, so together I think we have a pretty good handle on uh, on what's going on in, in this world, but at the same time, we're still uh, struggling like every other parent to raise two kids and, and perfect it for ourselves, so... Uh, yeah, that's how I spend my time. Great. You guys probably have really healthy conflict at your house. <laughs> like, we could all learn from you. Um, uh, we're just as struggling as everybody else. <laughs> that's good. That's good to hear, Andy. Yeah. Um, Andy, Brian and I are both in ministry. I know you said you have been in ministry. And, um, you know, I think one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is the church and mental health and how the church can get better at mm-hmm. supporting the mental health community. And I just wondered, you know, from your professional perspective do you have tips for pastors that are listening how they can better support those in their uh, congregations who are struggling with depression anxiety those kinds of things yeah i think the number one thing that any of us can do but especially in ministry is is just normalize the conversation mm-hmm. and to really um to educate and to give resources but really it's just to get the conversation going i think it's really helpful because i think the more that we talk about it uh, then people will feel like they can reach out for resources, that there's not the shame or the stigma involved. So I think first and foremost, it's just keep it a part of your regular conversation. That's good. Yeah. And Andy, we talk a lot about coming out of COVID, right? This pandemic, we've all been isolated. Mm-hmm. All just It's something none of us have ever experienced before. Uh, as a counselor, uh, what are you expecting as things get back to normal? What's the level of mental health um you know, issues that are going to be out there, both adolescent and for adults. What are you expecting coming out of COVID? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think the, the big thing is I go back to my, one of my favorite movies, 1991, What About Bob? Nice. <laughs> and the, the classic, Dr. Leo Marvin writes a book on baby steps. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Murray's character, uh, Bob Wiley, he's like, baby step to the elevator, baby step <laughs> to the car. And I think we as we as human beings have to keep thinking baby step. Like we would love to rush back with our masks off back to Disney world, but it's, but in reality, it's baby step back to church, mm-hmm. baby step back to work. And I think if, you know, with all the excitement of the world opening back up, we, we have to kind of remember that there's some re-entry anxiety coming on this mm-hmm. post pandemic, maybe grief that we feel. And so I think it is just to kind of remember 
you know, like, hey, let's take our time. This is um, this has really changed us all. And so, how do we how do we come back? Is the question. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so good. Um, Andy, you're obviously a therapist, which is why we have you on the show today. For any of our listeners who, I don't know, may have that sort of wrong stigma about therapy, like, oh, it's only for people who are, like, extra struggling, or, I don't know, maybe they have the wrong idea. Could you um, talk to them specifically about what you do and why you believe therapy is an opportunity for everyone? Absolutely. Uh, the the stigma is, yeah, you're right. The, sometimes it's that I have to have um, some major problems that, you know, I don't have that. Maybe that person has that kind of problem. But the, when we've all been impacted the way we have this last year, you know, there is no, the new normal is, is nothing. There is no mm-hmm. new normal. And, okay. um, and so to really kind of look at how am I coming out of this and are there things that have kind of kind of percolated over the last year that that are preventing me from really reengaging life? Um, and maybe there's some some grief from this last year of missing weddings and funerals and graduations and vacations that it's just I still just haven't been able to get through that, and yeah. I need to talk about it. And yeah. sometimes that is the main purpose for what I do with people is just to give people a platform to talk about it, to name the feelings, to just acknowledge that there's loss. Um, I think so many people that I've been talking to feel really maybe a little bit shame of like, I am dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and sadness, but it's nothing compared to what that person is feeling or I didn't lose someone during the pandemic. So who am I to complain? You know, and it's, it really, you have the right to complain and, and mourn that and and to really struggle with the anxiety of that. So I think anyone who's just needs to process this, um, absolutely, you're 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 on the right track. Yeah, and Andy, uh, you've worked, you do work, and you have worked. You said in the past with adolescents. Talk to the parents out there. Uh, what are what are our teenage kids and adolescents? What are they uniquely facing during COVID and coming out of COVID? And maybe speak a word of encouragement to the parents, quite frankly, who are really worried and scared about their kids right now. Yeah, I think the, the encouragement that I have for the adolescents I get to work with is, and and their families are to to reengage. You know, it really has been a isolating year, and there's no better recipe for depression and anxiety than isolation and hopelessness and fear those all are such uh destructive aspects of what we've dealt with and so it is it's it's helping teens walk away from their computers they've had enough they've had enough screen time <laughs> yeah, and yeah. calls and and it is to kind of figure out how am i supposed to be a friend uh in real time, face to face, and uh, how to just reengage with, you know, exercise and, and the outdoors, and so there is a lot of that just basics that kids know how to do. You don't need to necessarily reteach that stuff, but it is to encourage it, and um, you know, to, to make to let the play dates and the hangouts, you know, commence. Um, I think that's huge because they just have to figure out and reconnect with friends. That's so important. That's so good. Andy, you may have the same advice for adults, but um, 
generally speaking, for all of us moving out of the pandemic, are there one or two tools you would give to us for kind of coping with the emotions that we're dealing with as our world is beginning to open up again? Yeah, I think the first one is, like I said before, acknowledge your feeling. And I think people get a little bit uncomfortable with like their incongruent emotions. How mm-hmm. can I be super excited about going back to church or going to a backyard barbecue, but I still feel a little bit of grief or fear or something else. And so people, we're going to have a mix of emotions, you know, as we reenter and go back to normal. And so what, what are those? And can I feel a mix of, of emotions through that? Um, so just, just learning how to identify them and name them. Um, I, I love encouraging clients to start a journal. You got to get that stuff out of your head, put it on paper. Um, I think the other thing I, I love to encourage is self-care. We've, mm-hmm. The world stopped for a year, and we kind of got some new habits forming. We slowed down. We, had, we put together puzzles. We, <laughs> we yeah. figured out that we like exercise tapes or yoga, or we um, figured out a, a walk with the dog is more enjoyable than we ever imagined. So mm-hmm. kind of that self-care, slow-down time, uh, to kind of reduce the pace of life. That's, that's a kind of a new thing for people. Yeah. it's great. Again, Andy Jack is a licensed clinical professional counselor at Alliance Clinical Associates in Wheaton. If you want to learn more about Andy or the practice, go to allianceclinical.com. That's allianceclinical.com. Andy, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. One of our favorite things to do here on the show, easily. Easily. Easily is our weekly top five list. We tend to do them on Fridays. Uh, these are Aubrey and I, we've done top five uh, candies. We've done top five uh, around Mother's Day. We did TV Moms. Last week, I really enjoyed and I had a follow-up conversation with someone about top five uh, movie clips that when you're on, when you're, when you're, yes. uh, uh, you always stop on that part of the movie Traffic and we'll watch the stopping movie clips. That's right. Yep. So in honor of Father's Day, which is this weekend, uh, here's what we thought we would do. In much the same way we did top five TV moms, today we're going to do top five TV, TV dads. dads. So that's going to be our top five list. Before we get started, here's our fabulous open. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. There it is, our top five list. All right, Aubrey, so that's it. It's, it's, it's a straightforward one this okay, week. Okay, all right. So you and I both have five with two honorable Ooh, mentions. Yes. Top five TV dads. Now, we, the one caveat here is... They, they, their their thing has to be a being a dad has to be a major part yes. of their character. Like yes. it can't be. I, I use the example like Ross Geller in Friends. Right. Ross being a dad was never that really was not a the major, major plot line. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, Ross becoming a dad was, but Ross as a dad. So yeah. I think people understand that top five TV dads. Aubrey Sampson is going to go first. All right. I have a feeling this person is also on your list. Okay. All right. Uh, my number five TV dad is Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. He will appear on Mostly because he does the high school musical dance in like the very first episode, and I fell in love with him at that point as a dad. I find Phil Dunphy hilarious. <laughs> 
like he's just pretty awesome, so right? Funny that is that is true. Uh, my number five on my top five list. This is going to be. Uh, I know who you're going to say. This is going to be controversial. Yep. Uh, you need to separate here Mm-mm. the TV character from the actor. Okay, so that's my caveat. It's Cliff Huxtable from the Cosby Show. I'm very disappointed in no, you, Brian. No, he is like the, the, the quintessential dad of the 80s. <laughs> so Cliff Huxtable... I, that's a bigger conversation. Do you have to cancel the characters know, if you cancel is, the this actor? This is such a large, large conversation. I think in that case you do because the guy was literally drugging women and abusing but them, Cliff raping Huxtable them. Huxtable was not. I, I, yeah. There's, Huxtable, he was I can't, I just guiding can't, I can't. a nations of, uh, yes. I like Claire. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> but it's an important question. Yeah, okay. I, I hear you. Can you my separate the five, art from the artist? I my get number it. five is Cliff Huxtable. <laughs> Boom. All right. My number four. This one's a little out there. I've got this isn't on your list, but I think you're actually going to like this, Dad. Uh, Johnny Rose from Schitt's Creek. So my wife loves that show. Yeah. I'm not sure you might have just gotten us in trouble with saying it. But oh, it's <laughs> no, spelled appropriately. Uh, I've barely watched it. My wife loves that show. So I'm, I'm knowing how she thinks of that show, I'm sure he's a good dad. Yeah, he's a very good, good dad. All right, number four. You might have thought this one would come higher for me because of past top five lists, but I'll explain why. Number four is going to be Jack Arnold from The Wonder Years. Oh. Yeah. So I love Jack Arnold. Not the most loving dad, but that's because he's set in like the 60s, right? Like he's your quintessential 1960s dad who every now and then you get into a window of his soul of how much he loves his kids and his wife. But most of the time he's just reading the newspaper asking for Pepsi. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Was the show sponsored by Pepsi? There's a very famous scene in the Wonder Years where he says, his wife is like, is like, see this, we got to remember it's a 60s show, right? Yes, so his yeah, yeah, wife yeah. is like kind of ignoring some of the housework and stuff because she's going to a pottery class because she loves pottery now. And uh, he he finally just goes nuts and he says, uh, this family doesn't need more pottery. This family needs more Pepsi. <laughs> That's my favorite line. Show brought to you by Pepsi. Wonder Years brought to you by Pepsi. Exactly. That's good. So number four for me is Jack Arnold. Okay. okay. Uh, number three for me, is, this was number three, I, I was very torn, but it doesn't matter. Number three is Andre Johnson from Blackish. He Never is just, seen it. oh, he is a hilarious dad. And loves himself some cool shoes and nice. very entertaining. Okay. Yeah. I just love when we do these top five lists. It just highlights how different. I know. Our, different our TV show choices correct. are. Correct. Yeah. So number three for me. Is that where we are? Number three. Yes. Number three favorite TV dad, uh, Ray Barone. From I Everybody knew you were going to say Ray Barone. <laughs> I love, he makes me laugh so much. And he's also does dumb stuff that all of us dads and husbands have done. <laughs> like what's an example? Oh, my wife and I talk about this one all the time because there's an entire episode centered around the fact that Ray and his wife leave a uh, they leave his suitcase at the bottom of the stairs just to see who's going to get it first. <laughs> there's another so one real. where she there's another one where he talks to his brother who's about to get married. Okay. And he gives his brother the following advice. He says, you need to when your wife asks you to do something, you need to do it incorrectly the first time. <laughs> Because she will then correct you and do it, and she will never ask you to do it Stop again. It. 
<laughs> marital <laughs> advice. But then the whole episode is she finds out that oh, he said that. Oh, that he said that. Oh, that's brilliant. It's wonderful. That, Ray That is a Marone. funny show. That is a funny show. Okay. My number two, RIP, my heart goes out to him, Jack Pearson from This Is Us. Okay. You just choose shows that I never see. Yeah. Oh, Brian, you got to watch This Is Us. You and Carrie would love that show. Is he, uh, for a while, Carrie was recording it and yeah. we never, just never watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. RIP as in he died in the show or he died in real life? In the show. Yeah, yeah. But you know he's dead when the show starts. That's not a spoiler. You know, it's kind of a flashback show. So you gotcha. always know you've been leading up to him dying. But he is a fantastic, a little bit uh, unrealistic, fantastic father. Okay. Yep. Number two for me. Uh, is going to be, this is going to go back into our childhood, and you're immediately going to sing the song. I'm going to go with Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, Uncle Phil! Great choice! I think he, there's that very famous scene where Will Smith, because he's Phil's, uh, Will Smith is his nephew. Yes. why he's called Uncle Phil. (laughs) Uh, Hence the name. But the one where Will's real dad comes back and then just kind of abandons him again, and Uncle Phil has to like, it's one of the most powerful scenes you'll ever see. Uh, Uncle Phil, R.I.P. The actor who played Uncle Phil is no longer with us. But oh, I didn't know that. I'd but, like to hear you rap the theme song. To now that this show. is a story all about how my life got quick turned upside down. I'll stop right there. What I can give you happening? everything. This I can is give amazing. You every Brian. word from that. I love that. I show. I am very happy you just did that. All right. Before we do number one, uh, give me your two honorable okay. mentions. All right. Honorable mention. You got to throw in Danny Tanner from Full House. He's I never a- liked that show, but I did. Yeah. Danny Tanner is high on that list. Yeah. And then uh, Sandy Cohen from The O.C. He was always a fun, cool dad. Never watched the OC. Okay. Uh, my two honorable mentions, Stephen Keaton from Family Ties. Oh, I don't have enough memory of Family Ties to know that, but yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, and then this one's a little bit, see, all of mine have been like good dads. Yeah. I did want to give a shout out honorable mention to Frank Costanza. From I knew Seinfeld. you were going to say Frank Costanza. <laughs> I thought he would have been on your list. No. For sure. For sure. Yes. Frank Costanza. All right. Number okay. one. Let he me always give my yelled, number, right? Let me give my number one first because Ooh. you already named it. Oh, okay. Uh, you made okay. it your number five. Okay. My number one because he just makes me laugh so much. Yeah. And I, we can all see so much of like his buffoonery in all of us. Phil Dumphy yeah. from uh, Modern Family. I will give my number one he is fantastic. TV dad. All right, Aubrey, your number one TV all dad. All right, number one. Drum roll, please. Blossom's dad. Nick no. Russo. Just, no. just kidding. Just no. kidding. It's not Blossom's dad. <laughs> his name is Nick Russo, but that That's is not my number one. you went there. I know. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. My number one dad. This is a little bit... I don't know. We'll see what you think. The Mandalorian. I have spoken. I don't... The whole show is he's the dad to baby Yoda! I have no response to that whatsoever. Mando. Number one TV dad. (laughs) Your number ones on your list are always such big letdowns. (laughs) Great candy. (laughs) The Mandalorian is not a letdown to anyone, Brian. Okay. Okay. Well, those are our top five TV dads. Let us know what you think. We'll put them up there at our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. You thought the hilarity was over. No, no, no. We are going to end our show with a Father's Day game show with a very special guest that is coming up next here on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian from. What better way to end the week? We're going into Father's Day. 
Uh, we did this at Mother's Day with a with a Mother's Day quiz, so we've got to come back with a Father's Day That's quiz. Right. That's right. Uh, our game show as we head into the Father's Day weekend. We have a special guest who I am going to compete against. Before you introduce that person, you can't have a game show without a nice little intro music. So let's go. It's time to find out which father knows best on the Big Daddy Father's Day Quiz. Who is your daddy and what does he do? And now, here's your host, Aubrey Sampson. All right, so Brian and our special guest, who I'd like to reveal right now, is the one and only Kevin Sampson, my husband. Kevin, how you doing? Are you ready to compete against Brian? Oh, so great to be back. I am ready to crush Brian. <laughs> uh, yes, we're coming off a Mother's Day show quiz tie. Yeah, that's a tie. It was a failure. Uh, they both tied at failing the Mother's Day. And I feel like I'm going to call this yes. one the Big Daddy Father's Day quiz Big and Daddy, see how okay. you guys do. Also, just for who our... Who's the Big Daddy? Who's the Big Daddy? Is it Kevin Sampson? Is it Brian Fromm? And uh, also, just for our listeners out there, if you join us again on Monday afternoon, Kevin's going to be taking over Brian's spot for the day because right. Brian has something he has to do. I have to do jury duty. Brian so. has jury duty. <laughs> so uh, this is a little tease maybe of what Monday will be. So be funny, Kevin. Be funny. <laughs> be entertaining. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready? No we are ready. Roll those shoulders. Stretch those arms. Here we go. Number one. Big Daddy Father's Day quiz number one. How many Father's Day cards were given last year in the United States? Is it A, 95 million? Is it B, 75 million? Is it C, 45 million? Or D, 15 million? Kevin, what do you think? B, 75 million. Okay, Brian? Oh, see, that was going to be my answer, but now I don't feel like we can have (laughs) the same answer, so I'm going to say C. Okay, you are both... Incorrect. <laughs> it is a ninety-five million. Uh, it is the fourth, fourth, man. fourth largest holiday uh, card sending holiday. By the way, twenty percent of those cards were purchased by who? Who do you think? Twenty percent were purchased uh-huh. by mother-in-laws, wives, wives. Yep, okay. wives. All okay. right, number two. George Washington, the oh, celebrated boy. father of our nation, had how many biological children? Is it a two children? B, 10 children, C, no children, or D, three children. Brian, what say you? D, three children. Kevin's Googling. Kevin, (laughs) no Googling. (laughs) B, 10. Uh, You both are incorrect again. The answer is no biological children. A 2004 study suggested that a type of tuberculosis that Washington contracted in childhood may have rendered him sterile. Now, he did adopt adopt two kids from Martha Custis's first marriage. That was not part of Hamilton. That That was was not not. in Hamilton. That would have been a good little musical number, though. All right. O for two. O for for two. All right. How did we never learn that George Washington was there? That factoid would have stuck in my head. That is true. All right. Number three. The author, A.A. Milna, I think that's how you say his last name, created Winnie the Pooh for his son. This is an easy one, guys. Okay. What was his son's name? Is it A, Christopher Evans, B, Christopher Pratt, C, Christopher Robin, or D, Christopher Hemsworth? Kevin, what do you think? C. 
I'm going with C as well. Christopher Robin, yes. you both are correct. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, oh. Kevin, that felt like uh, like like she just was taking pity on us on that one. Yeah, because, I did. That was like, yeah, I felt I was sorry for you I guys. I got to go first. I was like, mm-hmm. better not let Brian go first. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points for knowing who the other Christophers <laughs> that I mentioned are from. They're all from one place. They're all from uh, they're all from the movies. Actors. From what movie? Um, they're all Avengers. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, number four, the voice of Papa Smurf, Papa Smurf, Don Messick, also provided the voice of A. Scooby Doo, B. George Jetson, C. Yogi Bear, or D. Fred Flintstone. Kevin, what do you think? Hmm. Oh, I love a Papa Smurf. So many great memories. <laughs> Whatever C was. Little C. Yogi C Bear. was Yogi Bear. Yogi Bear. Okay, Brian? Fred Flintstone, D. You are both incorrect. Oh! It is A, Scooby Dooby Doo! Okay. Oh. We're awful at this oh. game. Don Messick also provided the voice for Ranger Smith on Yogi Bear and Asteroid and Rudy on the Jetsons. I love the Jetsons. I did. I heard a speaker recently say that children now will think that Jetsons is a show about the past. <laughs> Interesting, right? All right. Okay, you guys. Are you ready for this? Get ready. Tied at one. It's a pitcher's duel. Okay. Number five. Hold on. Hold on. Let, me, let me do some push-ups. Okay. All right. Let's go. I feel a little disappointed in both of you, but here we go. The only father-daughter collaboration to hit the top spot on the Billboard pop music chart was A, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole with their remake of Unforgettable, B, Changes by Ozzy Osbourne and Kelly Osbourne, C, Don't Cry Daddy by Elvis Presley and Lisa Marie Presley, or D, Something Stupid by Frank Sinatra and Nancy Sinatra. Brian, or Sinatra. Brian, since you're so... uh, Confident, what say you? Yeah, he's just going to do whatever I guess here because I said I'm confident. I'm confident that that is A. You're confident that that is Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole with their remake of Unforgettable. Kevin? I yeah, I want to I wanna pick something different because Brian's usually wrong, but I think he's right this time. I'm going with A as well. Ah, uh, you should have gotten with your instinct. Kevin, it was something stupid by Frank and Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> I really that, was, that, that was some false confidence there, Brian. I thought I was right. I've never heard of it. But I've never even heard of it. Hit the yeah. top What's spot. It was a popular song, but it didn't hit the top spot on the Billboard Pop mm. Music chart. Okay. So, sorry, Kevin, on that one. My bad. All right. No. Uh, Kevin, listen to your instinct next time. All right, number six. There's two more, okay? I believe in you guys. You can do this. You don't. Number six. That's true. You guys are, I'm going to have to get new guests on the quiz show from now on. The nation's first Father's Day was celebrated when? A, June 19th, 1908. B, June 19th, 1910. C, June 19th, 1972. Or D, June 19th, 1920. I think Kevin goes first on this one. Okay, Kevin. (laughs) I mean, I've been doing extensive research. It is 1910B. Okay, June 19th, 1910. Brian? That is actually concur? the one I was going with. I was going to go, which probably means we're both wrong, but I wanted to go 1910. No, I'm, I'm proud of you. Ding, 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 ding. Hey! I actually, I would have taken two answers, because listen to this. 1910 in the state of Washington, they made it official. It didn't become official nationally until, guess when? 19... 
72. Yeah, 1972. Isn't that kind of crazy? 62 years later, it became a national holiday. So we're tied with wow. one to go. So now you're tied. This is the tiebreaker oh, question. Uh, Brian might have an unfair advantage on this one because he has daughters. Ooh, uh, but here we go. It's true. What is the most popular wedding song for Daddy Daughter Dances? Oh, A, is it my least favorite song to ever have been created, Butterfly Kisses by Bob Carlyle? Is it B, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder? Is it C, You'll Be In My Heart by Phil Collins? Is it D, My Girl, The Temptations? Uh, Brian, why don't you take a first stab at it? So is this like of all time? Like this is... Yes, in the last 100 years. I'm going off of my instinct. (laughs) I, I, I first thought it was... A different. I thought it was B, but I'm going to go with D. My okay, girl. My girl. All right, Kev. Just because I want to sing. Isn't she lovely? <laughs> I'm going with B. That's what I was going to get. Kevin, you're correct. Yes! Right. Yes! You should have gone with your instinct. Oh, Isn't she lovely? Me. By Stevie Wonder. Well, that. Our Big Daddy Father's Day quiz. Kevin is officially the winner. Well done, Kevin. (laughs) So, uh, Kevin, before we let you go, uh, how uh, important is it to you that your wife gets you a card for Father's Day? Uh, not a big deal. <laughs> I knew he was going to say not that. Not a big deal. <laughs> Me neither. But I, I thought I'd give the opportunity while we had her here. You can, you know, ask for he something. He got a, so. a, a tri-bike, so he's fine. He's set for Father's Day. With a Day. card, at least. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, for the next holiday, I'm going to try to defeat Kevin. Now I'm 0-1-1 on the... Oh, I can't believe we'll I didn't see you guys on July, <laughs> <laughs> on July 4th. Yeah, one year to train. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well... Hope that you enjoyed that as much as we did, and we hope that you have a great weekend, a good Father's Day for all you dads out there. Uh, Will will see you again on Monday. I won't see you. Aubrey will be joined by Kevin That's on right. Monday be fun. As, uh, as I'm doing my civic duty of jury duty, but we hope that you have a great weekend. Join them on Monday from 4 until 6. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.